0: This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We turn in God's Word this evening to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Our text is verses 10 and 11, 10 and 11 of Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of Hebrew, of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Ye doubtless, by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead." Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, which, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We read that far in God's holy word. The text is verses 10 and 11 of Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is your goal in life? What is your chief end? That is a familiar question from the Westminster Confession of Faith, a shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There's two parts to that. Answer to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever are connected. They're bound up together, directly related to glorify, to enjoy, to glorify, to enjoy this God. If you had asked Paul, what is your goal in life? What is your chief end? He would have said something similar, emphasizing the second part of the answer, of the Westminster Confession and Shorter Catechism, that I may know him. That I may know him. That would have been Paul's answer. That's his answer in this text. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That, Paul would have said, is my chief end. All summed up with that I may know Jesus. The essentials book that our catechism students go through begins with this question. For the believer, what is above all things most precious? You remember the answer? the knowledge of the true God through Jesus Christ whom he has sent may all God's people likewise have this as their chief end what is your goal young people in life what is your chief end what is your pursuit what is most precious to you Is it to win, to win a game, to win an argument, to make friends, to gain pleasure on this earth, to gain the praise of men? It ought to be this, that I may know him. This is the holy pursuit of the believer. This was not only Paul's golden life, but this was also the result of justification by faith alone. That's the context. Remember, Paul is combating the Judaizers who taught against the doctrine of justification by faith alone. They added works with the assurance of that justification. And Paul, along with his warning, we saw last week, spoke personally about how he used to have this Judaizer mentality, looking to his works for his confidence about justification. And then the Lord converted him, and what he saw once was gain, he now counts as loss, even as dung. For what? What was the result? the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I may know him more and more. Paul is telling us in the text, this is the result. Having been justified by Christ, I not only know Jesus, I want to know him more. I have been empowered by the same faith that justified me. I am empowered unto the knowledge of this Jesus more and more. I'm dedicated unto the pursuit of this knowledge of Jesus. That's the result of justification by faith alone. This text comes in answer of an anticipated charge, which the Judaizers... And many who are opposed to the reformed faith bring against God's people. The Judaizers criticize Paul, the doctrine of justification by faith alone without works, by saying that if a man holds to this truth, he's not going to live a godly life. There will be no energy, no motivation in his pursuit of knowing God and living for him. And Paul in our text shows us, actually, the result is this. This life of sanctification, that I might know Him, and even the power of His resurrection within me. The opposite is true. For one who rejects the doctrine of justification by faith alone, for one who wants to hold on to his works for justification before God, there will be no life that pursues godliness. The Bajji Confession puts it this way, Therefore it is so far from being true that this justifying faith makes man remiss in a pious and holy life. On the contrary, without it, meaning without this doctrine of justification by faith alone, they would never do anything out of a love for God, but only out of self-love and fear of damnation. But those who hold, truly hold, to the truth of justification by faith alone and are justified through that faith will Inevitably, they will live this kind of life that Paul describes here with his chief end that I might know him. Consider with me Paul's chief end that we might know him, to know Jesus personally. First, and secondly, to know Jesus experientially. And finally, to know Jesus in glory. In glory. For Paul, who put aside his self-righteousness and clung by faith to Jesus Christ alone for his righteousness, this was the result. By the same faith which justified him, He pursued a life of knowing Jesus. In the beginning of the text, when he says that I might know him, that I might know him, Paul is talking about the knowledge of faith, very simply. Remember, we referred to faith this morning. We pointed out Lord's Day 7, and the definition of faith there, faith in its activity is a certain knowledge and an assured confidence. To believe is to know Jesus. Before his spiritual conversion, Paul didn't truly know Jesus. He knew about Jesus. He knew plenty of facts about Jesus. But he denied Jesus. He hated Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus. He was spiritually blind so that he did not know Christ and his righteousness. But the Lord Jesus Christ, at Paul's conversion, appeared to Paul, and then Paul had the scales fall from his eyes, the scales of his pride, the scales of his self-righteousness, and he saw the beauty of Christ, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ was pressed into his soul. He saw Christ's righteousness given him. He knew Christ's suffering for him. He saw the mercy of Jesus Christ toward him. He saw the work of this risen and ascended Savior for him. Paul came to know Jesus by faith. And so you might ask, if Paul already knew Jesus by faith, why is this his chief end? Why does he repeat this concept here in verse 10 after he's talked about faith already? Why would he pursue the knowledge of Jesus Christ if he already knew Jesus Christ, the Christ that had appeared to him? Well, every believer knows the answer. Your knowledge... And my knowledge and Paul's knowledge of Jesus Christ while he lived upon this earth is very limited. This faith, which is to know Jesus, can grow, it can be strengthened. Having been brought to faith, knowing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Paul says now, I want to know Jesus more, more and more. And this is everywhere in scripture, Philippians 1 verse 9. And this I pray, Paul had exhorted the, had said to the Philippians, this I pray for you, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. There is this more and more in knowing Jesus. 2 Peter 3 verse 18. But grow, Peter says to the saints, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1 verse 10, Paul calls the church, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every work. And then this too, and increasing in the knowledge of God. A true believer who has been justified by faith wants to also grow in that knowledge, in that faith. Written everywhere in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is revealed to us this knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the child of God, who has tasted, who has tasted by faith, the knowledge of his righteousness in Jesus Christ, doesn't say, I've had enough. I'm done. I know I'm righteous before God. Now, I'll live my life however. But he says, "I want more." You had dinner this afternoon, most of you, and when you took your first bite and you tasted that first bite, you didn't say, "After that first bite, "I've had enough." No. In fact, that first bite whetted your appetite, and you said, "Now, now I want more. I want to fill up on this good food." And before you had your meal this afternoon at the dining table, you came to the Lord's table and you partook by faith, remember, by the hand and mouth of the soul, you partook of Jesus Christ, his broken body and shed blood for you and his righteousness, and you tasted of the knowledge of Jesus Christ by faith. And when God's people taste that, They don't say, I've had enough. But rather their hearts hunger and they thirst for more. That I might know him, Paul says, having been justified by faith. Give me more of that heavenly manna, more of Jesus Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know him better. That is my passion. That is my goal in life. John 17 verse 3, this is life eternal, that I might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The child of God with Paul says, you can have, you can have all this world, just, just give me Jesus that I might know Him. Now this knowledge is, it includes an intellectual knowledge, an intellectual understanding of doctrines regarding Jesus. It includes that. I'm going to get to the point that it doesn't only include that. But it does include that. To know Jesus includes understanding facts and doctrines of Jesus Christ, remembering the truths about Him, Paul exhorted Timothy in First Timothy 4, verse 16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, that is, in the doctrine. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Doctrine is simply teaching. Young people, children, doctrine is not complicated explanations which go over your head. Doctrine is simply teaching. Simple truths explained to your mind so that you can understand it. Logical instruction about Jesus. Precise explanations about his person, his work, his offices. Knowledge of him means understanding these doctrines. When Paul speaks of his chief goal, that I might know him, there should be no doubt in our minds that Paul worked hard Having been justified by faith, he worked hard to grow in a doctrinal understanding of Jesus. He went to the deserts of Arabia, and Jesus Christ himself instructed him there, and Paul, Paul studied hard. He, he sought to grow in his understanding of Jesus, of Christology, we can put it. This is a pursuit of the believer, not just of ministers and office bearers and theologians in the church, all believers, want to know more about Jesus' doctrine. And so we perhaps may not go to the large tomes of theological works in the seminary library, but we will go to Scripture. We'll read that Scripture. We will study His Word. We'll seek to listen carefully to the preaching of that doctrine we'll talk about these things one with another in societies and after church we pursue the knowledge of the doctrines of Christ there are many today that call themselves Christians who are anti-intellectual you think that doctrine is not necessary and they will criticize you for an intellectual understanding of doctrine, They will criticize you for teaching your children catechism so that they know the doctrines of the Reformed faith and of Jesus Christ. They minimize such knowledge. But when the child of God comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he says, I want to know more. That is my pursuit in life, and that includes knowing doctrines. But now we may not stop there. And if we stop there, we have not said enough and you do not understand enough. When Paul speaks of his goal in life that I may know him, he is not only talking about intellectual knowledge. If you stop at intellectual knowledge, you are not truly pursuing the knowledge that Paul talks about here. It includes an intellectual knowledge. But Paul's goal in life, his chief end, is a personal knowledge. A relational knowledge between persons. So that, dear believer, your relationship is not between you and a book of theology, Your relationship is not between you and precise explanations of theology. Your relationship is not even between you and doctrines of Jesus Christ. Your relationship is between you and the person of Jesus Christ. You know him. And you want to know him more. There is a big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Many of you can tell me facts about famous people, about the president, about a certain basketball player that you like. You can tell me many facts even about the Apostle Paul, because you've read the Bible. But knowing facts and truths even about a person does not necessarily mean you actually know him. Paul didn't only know about Jesus. He knew Jesus. And his pursuit in life is that he might know Jesus more. That's what covenant is. An intimate knowledge of God. A relationship with Him. Oh yes, you'll know about Him within this covenant. They'll tell you much about Him. It's not merely that. You'll know the covenant God. Beloved, as Protestant and foreign people, we know much about the covenant. And that is good. We know the doctrines of the covenant. We defend the doctrines of the unconditional covenant. And that is good. The covenant needs to be more. Covenant should be our life. Our life should be a life of knowing Him, seeking Him, a relationship with Him. It's always initiated by Him, true. But as he draws you to himself, you draw near to him to seek his face. In this relationship with him, you hear him speak to you. That is with regard to any relationship in which you say, I know him, I know her. A husband says about his wife, I know her. A wife says about her husband, I know him. When you know someone, that means you hear that person talk to you. And you respond. That is a covenant relationship. My sheep, Jesus says, John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so when you come to church and you and you hear the preaching, you don't only hear a preacher, but the one that knows God hears Jesus himself. When you read scripture, you don't only read black and red letters on a page in the Bible, but you hear Jesus speak to you in the words of scripture. You draw nigh to him as he draws nigh to you. It is a relationship. That's knowing him. In worship, and prayer, through life, there is a holy dialogue, a holy conversation as you walk and you talk with him. This is your pursuit. This was Paul's pursuit. No, not perfectly. There are going to be days of preaching and days of scripture reading and prayer and even Many days on end in life, sometimes that we feel cold, far from Jesus. That's the experience of every Christian. You can read the Psalms and you'll find God's children who feel dry, who feel cold, who feel far away, even in the depths at times away from God, away from their Savior. And the reason is because of our sin. The reason is because of our weak faith, our distractions upon this earth, our pride. But the point of Paul is not to say, you see, the point of Paul is not to say that his personal knowledge of Jesus was perfect. In fact, if it was perfect, then he wouldn't be pursuing it. The point of Paul was to say that This is my pursuit. This is my goal. This is my chief desire to to know him. And I might grow in this. More and more. Nearer, my God to thee, the believer cries. Nearer, my God to thee. Or as Psalters 163 puts it, still closer to thy side I press. For near thee, all is well." Or Psalm 27: "One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold His beauty and to inquire in His temple." This knowledge is a knowledge of faith. It is, and includes, an intellectual knowledge. But it is a close personal knowledge. This is that which results from justification by faith alone, and that which Paul and every believer pursues. But it's not only a personal knowledge, we move on to the second point, it is an experiential knowledge. After Paul speaks of that I may know him, in verse 10, Paul continues to explain this knowledge. He doesn't bring up a different topic after he says that I may know him, but he brings up an explanation, a further explanation of this knowledge, that I may know him experientially, he means, in this way, that I might know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. As Paul, by faith, clings to Jesus for his righteousness, and he continues to do that throughout his life, he clings by faith alone to Jesus alone for his righteousness. What happens within Paul is this. The very power of the resurrected Jesus Christ flows into him, courses through his spiritual veins, as it were. We talked about a vine and the branch connected to the vine. We are that branch. Jesus is that vine. And when there is a faith that clings to Jesus for righteousness from Jesus Christ, there, there flows, the flows into that branch, the believer, a life that believes in Jesus not only but wants to know Jesus more and then experiences a resurrection power within him. Paul speaks as though the risen Christ himself is inside of him, working a real heart quickening. It's an amazing expression. Paul did not remain dead in sin. Yes. According to his old man, he remained dead in sin, always did. but that paul who was justified by faith alone in jesus alone experienced a resurrection within a new heart called a new man was given to him freeing him from the bondage of sin the explanation of course is that jesus christ children didn't remain dead jesus christ rose from the dead And he ascended into heaven as we sang about tonight. And that risen and ascended Jesus Christ works within the hearts of his people by his spirit so that they know the risen Christ, not only about him, that he rose from the dead, but they experience his very resurrection within them. That's the experiential knowledge of Jesus I resurrected Jesus within by that power of the Spirit. The same Spirit, children, that raised Jesus from the dead works in us who are justified by faith. Think of Jesus' body in the tomb, children. You remember that history. On that third day after Jesus died, early Sunday morning, when that stone was still over the tomb, the stone was still over the tomb. No one could look into that darkness of that tomb. Think about how the guards still stood outside and how within that tomb, the body, the dead body of Jesus Christ was still wrapped in grave clothes. I ask you, children, in the darkness of that tomb, what caused Jesus body to rise again to be a glorious body what allowed him to come forth from the tomb how did his soul reunite with his body the answer of scripture is the holy spirit romans 8:11 But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul is saying, quicken him. So he who was once dead was alive in Jesus. Galatians 2 verse 20, Christ liveth in me, Paul says. We can relate it to the Lord's Supper. When faith eats Jesus Christ, and drinks Jesus Christ mysteriously. But really, Christ's resurrection power is worked in us not only to assure us you're justified, you're righteous that wondrously, but also to empower us and to thankful, li- holy living like the risen Christ Himself. Paul is saying this is not only the result, this is not only the result of justification by faith, this is my pursuit having been justified by faith that I might know him personally that I might know him experientially his resurrection power in me the quickening of the new man day by day Not that the new man gets better and better, but mysteriously, as the Catechism puts it, there is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ, with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. The willing, the thinking, the feeling of Paul craves, pursues, desires to show forth the risen Christ in all good works. At the very same time, Paul says, as I experience this resurrected Christ in me, there's also the experience of suffering and dying like Christ. It's at the same time. Paul has this... Knowledge and experiential knowledge of the resurrected Christ in him, but also the suffering and dying Christ. That's why he says, he continues, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. That suffering, of course, and that dying must be distinguished from Christ's suffering and dying in this way. That Paul, suffering and dying, and us, when we suffer and die, it's not for the payment or the atonement of sin. Thankfully, there's no more of that kind of suffering and dying. Jesus has finished that. That's the gospel. Yet, there is suffering and dying within the child of God that he experiences, which is like unto the suffering and dying of Jesus Christ, as part of his experiential knowledge of Jesus as Jesus works in him. There are two ways which Paul experienced the suffering and dying. First, he experienced the suffering and dying within his soul of an old, old nature, an old man. As Paul pursued a knowledge of Jesus Christ more and more, he he experienced a pain within him a suffering, a dying, because there was a mortification, a mortification of the old man, Paul, like us, would sin again. And there would be this pain, this sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by by our sins. And this hatred, this abhorrence sin and that sinful nature and a desire to flee it. And when there was this sorrow of heart, it killed inside. It did. That's the killing, the mortification of the old man. A suffering and a dying to self and to pride and to sin and to errors and more and more so in the child of God's life. So that the more, the more the elderly saint, even, the most holy we would judge, the more that the saint lives and seeks to live knowing his Savior and pursuing a holy life, the more he sees his sin, he doesn't get, he doesn't get more wicked. But that saint sees his sin more and more. And there is this suffering and dying within him more and more. No, not that the old man gets any less evil. But as that new man restrains and fights that old man, there is a real suffering and death felt within. Paul speaks of this experience. as fellowshipping or sharing and the suffering and dying even of Jesus. That old man being crucified. But secondly, Paul was also referring to a suffering and dying not only of an old man, but, but of his body, of his body. Paul suffered like Christ. We know the history as he was writing this epistle to the Philippians, he was enduring persecution. He was suffering imprisonment, and soon he was going to suffer death. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That was his experience. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Paul says, as I seek to know him, I die not only to the flesh, but I suffer and die according to my body too. Those who hated Jesus hate me. And unto you, he says to the Philippians, Philippians 1.29, it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. To be conformed even with your body unto the death the death of Jesus Christ. Again here too, Paul does not merely say this is the result of Christ in me. Mysteriously, Paul says, this is my chief end. That I might know Jesus this way. Personally. Personally. And experientially, his resurrection power in me and his suffering and dying also in me. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, he says, Paul's goal. Was to know Jesus personally, experientially, but also finally, fully, in glory. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, and you hear in that last phrase of our text a certain doubt can hear a doubt that Paul expresses, if by any means I might come unto the resurrection of the dead, what must be clarified here is that Paul is not doubting the fact of his glorious resurrection from the dead. Paul is very sure of that he knows that those When Christ has justified them, he will also glorify. Romans 10. He has written to the Philippians in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's very confident in in the fact of his resurrection from the dead. He's not doubting that at all. So the question is, what does Paul doubt here? Paul expresses doubt about the exact manner in which he will die and be brought to glory. Remember, Paul is in prison. He doesn't know for sure whether it will be at Nero's hand that he will die at that point or whether he will be released and he could live a while longer, continuing his missionary work and continuing to know Jesus in this life on this earth. And then die later on. He doesn't know how he will die exactly. So by any means means somehow, if somehow in this life I will die, he's referring to, if somehow I might come unto the resurrection of the dead. What Paul's saying is this. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know the pathway God has for me up to death, which is a passageway, unto glory. But whatever way it is, however I will die, I press onward, unto glory. Anticipating this My chief end, Paul says. Because death would bring him to know, to know him. To know Jesus better than he had ever known before. The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ would fill him. As he gazed face to face in the eyes of his Savior. Resurrection meant that. As for me, Paul had the confidence as David did in Psalm 17. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. With the resurrection of the dead, Paul would have his chief end realize that I might know him. O oh, beloved, beloved people of God, does not this word of God stir you? That having tasted of the excellency, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper, having been justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Is this not your greatest desire, your pursuit in life? May God's word May Paul's chief end be yours by the same power, of the risen Christ. Amen. Let's pray. O God, by the faith which thou hast given, we know thee. We have tasted of that excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ. And having tasted of his perfect righteousness, we yearn, we do, to know him more, personally, experientially, and also in glory. Enable us, O God, unto this pursuit, work in us more and more such a desire that Paul's chief end may be ours, for the glory of thy name, amen.